Future Self Podcast, episode 35. I really appreciate how hard it is to make it happen, but it's doable. And when I say hard, I mean just to take the leap, to put the pieces together to make it work, to get connected to the right people. It takes effort, so it's not easy. It isn't, but it's doable. This is the Future Self Podcast. Here's your host, Robert Ingalls. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 35 of the Future Self Podcast, your resource for knowledge, insight, and inspiration to make your future self your biggest fan. You know, I should totally start a podcast. If you have ever said those words, then you are in the right place. I am teaming up with Advent Coworking to bring you Advent Podcast University, Charlotte's first comprehensive podcasting course designed to take you from your idea that you have right now to being on iTunes in four short weeks. Now, whether you're a hobbyist or you're ready to create a business and a brand around your podcast, this course provides you with the tools to bring your unique vision to life. Even if you're still trying to nail down that perfect podcast idea, we have you covered there too. So if you're ready to take your idea and get it on iTunes, go to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. Yourpod.pro. All right, let's jump into today's show. This week, I had Jamie Wallace in the studio. Jamie is the vice president and general counsel of Montauk Energy, a renewable energy company that converts methane gas from landfills into renewable energy. Now, Jamie is actually the guest that this podcast has been waiting for. I met Jamie at a meetup in November 2015, and this was just two months after I had my kind of awakening when I realized that I could not see myself spending the rest of my life as a lawyer. He was a corporate lawyer turned restauranteur who was fresh off of a sabbatical with his family in Costa Rica. Now, for my longtime listeners, you know where this is going. You hear about Costa Rica all the time. Before I met Jamie, my wife and I had started seriously discussing a location-independent lifestyle, and we had just put Costa Rica on the short list of places that we were considering moving when we first decided, you know, when that time came to move. Talk about putting the right people in your path. A corporate lawyer who walked away to open an Ethiopian restaurant in a part of town that most people were still afraid to drive through who then ended up living on a beach in Costa Rica for a year. This is a story worth telling. So let's jump into it. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I mean, I've been kind of keeping the same settings because this is my third interview today. So, really? uh, Yeah, I had uh, a lot, man. Yeah, it is. But it's so much easier to batch them all at once to do as many as you can in one day. Yeah. I would say if I had to do another one after this one, I would yeah. probably be getting pretty tired. Yeah. But if you can do a number in one day... Then it's just done. Now I've got three, you know, I've got three yeah. Fridays worth of yeah. worth of material to get out there. Yeah. Can you keep it straight in who you're interviewing? You're like, so tell me about your coffee, <laughs> right? And it is. I'll tell you who probably has a hard time keeping it straight. You ever listen to Entrepreneur on Fire? Mm-hmm. Right. He is a daily podcast. Yeah. Every single day, he is doing those interviews in two days. He does 15 interviews on one day and 15 interviews the next day, and then he's done for the month. And uh, I took a, a class with him. I went to a podcast convention in over the uh, summer. Yeah. And the day before the convention started, him and Kate, uh, who run the company together, okay. put on a class, a podcasting course. And I was like, I'm going to go take that. 
And he told us kind of about his story and how he started. He's like, I used to start doing them, you know, like just a few. And he's like, now I'm up to 15 in two days or 30 in two days. He's like, and it is intense. He's like, after those two days, he's like, we crash. Yeah. He's like, we crash and eat ice cream. That's our ritual. <laughs> because it would be. Because I'll tell you, like, yeah. I do, the most I've ever done in one day is four. Yeah. And I'm mentally exhausted by the end. Sure. And you want to keep the same energy level with everyone. Right. You know, I mean, especially if it's, if you're doing it and you're releasing it every Friday, there's not going to be any understanding of, well, Rob was probably tired that day because he's done four and this happens to be the fourth of all of those. Right. You've yeah. always got to be bringing it. Exactly. You know, and every, every interview is different too. When I go back and listen to some, it, it's the energy of the guest uh, is, yeah. is, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I, you know, I'm one of those people who's a little empathetic and I definitely tend to follow other people's energy sometimes. Yeah. And, and you'll hear that in some of the episodes yeah. is I'll kind of come down a little and, but some days I'm just yeah. high and, and yeah. that's just how it's going to be. But that's most days for me. Yeah. Most days I'm like, dum, 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 dum. Yeah. the funny thing about this is I'm someone who's naturally pretty inquisitive. So I have a lot of questions for you. Like I could like sit here and ask you questions hey, about this. I, I think uh, my, my wife would tell you there is nothing that would make me happier than to sit <laughs> and, li- and answer questions about myself for other people. Yeah. I yeah. just, uh, in the past few months, have started appearing on other people's podcasts. Yeah. And yeah, that's my new favorite thing. Right. Because they bring you on and they just let you talk about yourself. Right. Over and over again, <laughs> and they're excited and they're uh, happy. And then they send it out to their audience and their audience likes it. And you're like, huh. It's just me talking about myself. I love it. (laughs) Tell that compelling story. But podcasting is getting really uh, popular over the past. I mean, it's been around for years, but with Serial and S-Town and, you know, Barack Obama going on Mark Maron, and and it's really coming to the common vernacular. Yeah. And more people are finding out about it. You know, the the 55 and overs are starting to listen. That's when you know you've arrived. (laughs) Like, Facebook didn't officially make it until the boomers got on board. Yeah. 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 So, man, I really appreciate you coming out here today. I feel like this has been the interview that needed to happen from day one when I launched the podcast, because, you, you know, we, we don't know each other that that well. Right. And we haven't known each other that long, but I still feel like you're an important person in my journey. When I, I first got into, uh, you know, I really kind of a light bulb went off for me in September of 2015. And I, I knew I, I was a lawyer. I didn't want to be anymore. Like it just it didn't speak to me. I realized I don't want to do this for another 40 years. And so I started looking and, and, and reading and, and I read this book called The Power of Habit. Uh, and, and this was, I actually, I probably read that one in August. I hadn't really made the decision yet. And uh, somebody had sent me the recommendation and I was like, I'll read that. And I, I, I listened to the book on my way home. I think I had gone back home east and I was driving by myself listening to this book and man, it was so impactful. And there was a story in it about Alcoa and the CEO. Alcoa was not doing well, and they brought in a CEO, this guy named Paul O'Neill, mm-hmm. to re, you know, turn the company around. And in his first address to the shareholders, he spent the entire time talking about safety. And apparently at the end of the shareholders meeting, the shareholders were ready to put his head on a pike. And they go on to tell the story of, of, of how he used safety as the habit, as like the keystone habit to turn the entire company around. And, I, and you know, I'll, I, you, I'll definitely link this on the blog and the show notes for the listeners, but that, that really struck, you know, kind of struck, stuck with me. And the, the entire book is good, but then I'm going forward, I'm reading more books, and I'm, I start going to these meetups, entrepreneur meetups. I'm trying mm-hmm. to meet different people who have 
you know, maybe maybe I can kind of find my area because I didn't know where I was going. Right. I had zero idea of where I was going. I just knew I wanted to go somewhere. Right. So I'm showing up to meetups and things like that. And I went to a meetup just in the middle of the day randomly that I had seen. It was like my lunch break. So I go to this meetup down the street. And I don't even remember. What was it about? Yeah, I don't, I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It, it was about something. Yeah. Uh, something entrepreneurship. Yeah, it was related. an entrepreneur. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was a pitch breakfast initially or a meetup. It was. It was a meetup. It was a lunch meetup. And it was relatively small. There was probably only 10 of us in there. And it was some kind of presentation. And we, and we went and we were chatting afterwards. Yeah. And you were telling me, you know, kind of what you'd done. And well, at this point in time, my wife and I had been talking about uh, relocating in, you know, within a few years, yeah. kind of moving around the world. Right. And we had whittled down our list to just yeah. a handful of cities or countries. And, and uh, you know, we were talking to you and you were like, oh, I just got back from Costa Rica yeah. for a year. And yeah. I'm like, what are you talking yeah. about? And and I was like, holy shit! Like this, I don't know. I took it as a sign that the yeah. universe wanted wanted us because Costa Rica was on our list yeah. and it was high on our list. Yeah. And, and we started talking, and you were telling me that you'd been an attorney, and that you had worked at Alcoa. And and then I, I was excited about that because I'm like, I hadn't read that many books at this point in yeah. this in, in the personal development world. And I started we started talking about that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's you were one of those early people who really made me feel like the dreams I had were validated because you had lived a lot of the things Like you were the kind of person clearly who was like, let's go do a thing. Yeah. Let's not waste any more time. Let's go do it. And that's, it's really interesting to hear too. And from my standpoint, as I followed the development of what you were doing and, and seeing that you got the podcast up and running, it was really rewarding to me because I remember talking to you at that time and I could tell that you were, you were really ready to do something and for you to be able to put this together and have it be as effective and successful as it's been is really great. I mean, it's really just a, it's a, it's a good, it's a feel good story. You know, yeah, I, I appreciate that, man. You are uh, yeah. Woo. Uh, but I mean, you've been a big cheerleader for the podcast from the beginning. I mean, when I send out those emails, when a new episode comes out, nobody replies. But you reply sometimes, yeah. and you say, "I really like that. It's really cool." Yeah, and I'm like, "Sweet!" Like it, that. There is just. The positive feedback from just one person sometimes when you're like, is this reaching anyone? Because in those early days, I tell people who are starting podcasts, don't expect anyone to expect to hear crickets in the beginning. Right. And that doesn't mean they're not listening. Like you can see the numbers when people are listening. You can see it, but you don't know who they are. You don't know what's coming from. You're like, maybe this is just someone who, you know, accidentally played it. Like you don't know. So to get even just the tiniest feedback from someone that, that something good is coming from what you're doing is hugely helpful. So, so listener, if uh, someone's just starting out and they're doing something and you like it, let them know. Send them an email. Send them a Facebook message, uh, because that stuff really helps people who are creatives. Uh, you know, keep at it. Yeah. So, I, and I, and you know, let me talk a little bit about how I even got to the entrepreneurial path and why I was there that day. To, to meet you. I would like to know that because I saw, I've thought about that before. Like yeah. what, what was, you know, because I'm, I'm a big fan of kind of the alchemist idea. I didn't read it till recently, but I'd already internalized the message before I read it mm-hmm. of we're on a journey. We're, you know, uh, we're after our personal legend. And, and I, you know, I kind of want to hear where your personal legend was taking you that brought you to intersect with me that day. Yeah. And I think in listening to some of your podcasts and meeting a number of entrepreneurs over the years, I think in some way I'm not cut from the same cloth as many of those folks. Uh, when I hear stories about people who were always nonconformists and they felt like they 
wanted to do something different and go against the grain or were a little bit rebellious. That's not necessarily how it was. And I think, um, you know, I've thought about this a lot, like how I ended up on the path that I did. And there were probably a couple competing ideas in my mind at all times. And it, it's, goes back to my background and, and how I was raised. So I'm the product of an interracial marriage. And that matters a lot. Um, it matters a lot because my parents were, were young. They ran away and got married. This was after Loving uh, versus Virginia 1967 miscegenation laws were struck down. But still, um, depending on where you were, it wasn't an easy thing to do. So my mom at some point um, was living with uh, my dad and got uh, arrested for unlawful cohabitation and had a, a pro bono lawyer help her out and win her case. And um, eventually uh, they you know, got married. My dad joined the military. I was born. We moved to Germany when I was like four months old, I think. And um, I, you know that, that was a foundation of having an understanding that you have to believe in what you believe in regardless of what other people say, even if it's the authorities. And I think our, our family always had that just a structural foundation of a, a belief system that wasn't going to be swayed by something else. And so there was that component, which we would say, well, that's sort of an entrepreneurial type of a spirit where you're going to fight against whatever, right? At the same time, though, my dad, like I mentioned, was in the military. I played a lot of sports. I think the military and sports, it's, it's pretty conformist. I mean, you, you're a part of a team. You wear a uniform. You have practice. Practice isn't awesome. Double session football practices in August were horrible. You know, you, you might not have liked it, but it's just what you did. And throw in the fact that the way my dad's perspective always was, whether it's right or wrong or fair, you as a minority in this world, you will get treated differently. Understand that you will get, you will get looked at differently. There, there are people who will be able to do some of the same things that you would want to do that you can't get away with. And so, um, be aware of that. And then also he instilled in me an obligation to succeed. So his view was a lot of people came before you, whether it's slavery, Jim Crow, civil rights era, that have allowed you the or afforded you the opportunities that you have now. And so work hard and don't don't spit in the face of the people who came before you and make sure that you're doing whatever you can do to be successful. And so I think with that in my mind, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be wired to just jump out and do something that would be outside of the norm because the expectation was of my dad. He's like, so what that means is you should be a doctor or a lawyer because it's his understanding of what a successful person would be. And I, I really didn't want to fight that. And I think in part because I, I didn't think that I had the ability to, to do anything outside of that. And so when I originally went to college, 
I thought, well, I guess I'll go to medical school. You know, maybe I'll do that. I don't know. I don't know that I want to go to law school. I knew like one lawyer. I think I probably knew one doctor as well. And I was like, yeah. And my mom at the time worked um, in a doctor's office. So I was like, yeah, I guess I'll do that. And I was fortunate enough to get in this um, health careers opportunity program for people who are like pre-med or pre-pharmacy. And it was great because I got to do different internships throughout that program. And what I determined from it was I hated it. Like, I was like, oh, I don't, there's nothing about this that I like. I don't like the lighting in a hospital. I don't like the smell. I don't like being around sick people. I hate when I'm sick. So like, what do I do it? And it was, it was a tough point for me because it was really the first time where I had to sit and think about what do I want to do? Like, what path do I really want to be on instead of just a path that was sort of laid out for me? Like, what do I want to do? And so I ended up deciding law school, not necessarily because that was one of my two options, but I did think that the skill set that I had and the, and the uh, things that I were, the, the things that I was good at probably would lend itself to law school. And so that's how I ended up on that, on that path. And so I don't know like what, I don't know like why you decided to go to law school and if it was, you were all about justice or if people told you you argued a lot and that, and you should go to law school, but that's how I've, I found my path to law school. Yeah. Mine was kind of all of the above. I, I was, I questioned authority regularly and, and I don't think necessarily just for the, just to do it, it wasn't really a damn the man type of thing. I think it evolved into that after yeah. a while because I never really appreciated the answers I got from authority because right. eventually if you ask enough questions, the answer becomes just because. Right. And, and I was, ne- I'm still not okay with that, especially as a lawyer. That is never an right. okay answer. Uh, that is the one thing people say, would you do it again? Would you go to law school again? I would never change it right. because it, it gave me the tools to be the kind of man that I want to be. Uh, I, I was, I don't want to say illogical, but I was very content before going to law school to look at an assertion and then tie it to a conclusion without really making a rational analysis. It would just, you know, kind of correlation causation. Mm-hmm. If it need, if I, in my mind, if it, it, it fit with my story to make it the, the reason, then it would be the reason. In law school, it demanded I stop and I did. Um, so now everything in my life is that rational process. And I think that makes me a better person because every decision I make, I, just, I make, I try to you know, cut emotion out of it and, and look through the rational side of it. It's changed the way I view, uh, you know, social issues. It's right. changed the way I view politics in, in really meaningful ways to me because it, 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 I stopped, I reevaluated everything that I believed and looked through, it the, through that analytical lens. Uh, so yeah, I would definitely do it again. But the reasons I went weren't necessarily good reasons. They were, oh, you like to argue, you'd be a lawyer. Right. Oh, uh, um, and another part of it was it was prestigious. Sure, this is this some component of again you in your in the eyes of whomever. It's it's one of the professions that you can be in that is a sign of success. Right, like Willie Nelson didn't say, you know, let him grow up to be, you know, podcasters <laughs> and such. Right. Um, but yeah, so it was. It was this idea. That, that that if I did that, I would be successful and no one could say I wasn't. Yeah. And I don't know about you if you loved law school or, or hated it or, or indifferent, but yeah, for I, me... I pretty much hated it. Okay. So for me, it was interesting because I actually liked school my whole entire life from the time I was in in kindergarten and until and uh, through college and until law school. In fact, I started kindergarten when I was four and my mom, she said she you know could have held me back a little bit, but she was like, you were... 
I, number one, you're like a handful and I was happy to have you out of the house. But number two, you're just like so anxious to go to school. I was like, fine, go. Right. Um, but law school, I didn't love. I, and I, and I, that first year, it was an interesting, it was an interesting period. And for me, what I was able to do after my first year of law school was uh, spend the summer in Kenya and studying at the University of Nairobi Law School. And that couldn't have come at a better time because after the first year, I was a little bit disillusioned with what law school was all about. Again, I didn't know a lot of lawyers and I didn't, it's not like I had a great understanding of what the process would be. And it was so refreshing to go to Kenya and meet Kenyan students who were very engaged with changing their country and putting it on the right path for the future. Like they were so just excited about the future of where they were headed. And it was really just reinvigorating for me to be around those folks. The other thing it did too was tell me that definitely whatever I ended up doing, I wanted to do something that would touch on the continent of Africa, um, which it's, again, like those experiences, I feel like, like that build on each other. And it's leads all the way to like why I'm here right now at this moment. Right. And so, um, it was, again, it was such a great time. And I think I came back with a a better perspective and and a healthier perspective and just one that allowed me to appreciate more the opportunities that I had in the U S and, um, I don't know, like, I, I think had I not had that, I don't even know like how it would have gone like my second and third year, but I came back like in just with a different mindset and it ended up being, you know, great, great experience. And I a hundred percent agree. I think it's a phenomenal education to have. And I, and I use it every day. And, uh, yeah. Know. When kids ask me whether they should go and they do frequently, uh, my, a lot of lawyers now, they're very jaded mm-hmm. and, and their first answer is no, why would you do that? Stupid. And I try not to do that, uh, although that might be what I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I try not to do that because we still do, we do need lawyers. And there's I, I'm friends with some of the best lawyers that I know. And, and I don't say that because they're my friends. I say that because they are brilliant, brilliant attorneys, and they're doing meaningful work that is changing lives. But my question is, why do you want to go? Why do you want to go? Because a lot of people were like me, you know, I had this idea of justice. I want to be a criminal defense Mm -hmm. attorney. I practiced criminal defense, hated it, but they, they, they had this idea of prestige money and that's it. And those are the people that I say, maybe you should reevaluate. Maybe just think about that. Talk to more attorneys, see what that's like, maybe intern at a firm for a year or something. And, and then if they really still want to go, unless, you know, unless you're going to a top tier school, I say find the cheapest school you can go to that gives you a good education and and go there because you're going to get the education. And if you're just at a, you know, kind of a medium tiered school, if you don't have a connection there that's going to get you into the door at a firm that you want to work at, now you have a lot of debt and your job prospects aren't what they were because a lot of kids still have this idea that job prospects are what they were in the 80s and 90s. For, for lawyers, um, and I know that some lawyers from the 90s, I talked to them, and they're like, hey, Sparky, they weren't as good as you think they were. Uh, but it's different now than it, uh, than it was clearly. Yeah. You know, people from, you know, people that I uh, took the bar with, you know, walked into $35,000 a year jobs. Yeah, that's tough. With debt, probably. Yeah, with, you know, some of
some of them are approaching 200 in debt. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Right, and that's why I tell them, don't take on that debt. Yeah. Go to a state school, yeah. find some scholarships, because uh, the education is great. It, it, you yeah. know, like you said, it, it taught you to look at the world in a different way, and I like that. So when you're in law school, what is your plan? What are you going to do when you graduate? Did you have a specific area yeah. that you were going to go to? I, I did, and so I was fortunate enough to um, – have an opportunity as a summer associate at a um, decent-sized law firm in Pittsburgh. And then after my second year, I had an offer from that firm. So I knew going into my third year that I would have a job um, once I graduated. And so um, I did – I was in the business group in that firm, did mergers and acquisitions, and um, got involved a little bit with, like, venture capital finance stuff and startup. And it's when I started to see – I like the business side of this. Like I like working with um, these startup companies that are, have great ideas and they're trying to get stuff going. Like that, that, the energy of that was very exciting to me. And, and I thought then I was like, I like the business side of this better than the legal side. Like to me, all the action happened at this, in this other setting. And then they're like, you lawyer, go like draft that up. And I was like, man, I want to be on that side. Of it. That, that's the cool side. Yeah. Right. And so I, and, but again, I still, I'm like disciplined and I'm like, that's just in the back of my mind. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump and that's, can't just do every harebrained thing yeah, you want to. Yeah. I wasn't raised that way. And, um, but I was like, man, this is my desire. And so, uh, eventually went in-house at Alcoa and Alcoa is a phenomenal company, as you mentioned, health and safety leader. You're right. Uh, just, just a great experience. And, and while I was there, I started uh, doing some pro bono work for someone who had recently opened this spoken word slash coffee shop slash live music venue in a neighborhood that at the time people were um, really scared to go to in Pittsburgh. And so it uh, – and, and that neighborhood's East Liberty. And he opened it smack dab in this – part of town where, I mean, maybe it's what Noda was at some point. Like I'm not as familiar with Charlotte as you are obviously, but, um, and so uh, it was fascinating to, to go and, and meet with him and, and start to help him out. And what was wonderful about it was the people that it drew were just astonishing folks with, with amazing ideas. And it was a collection of just artists and musicians and young people who were all about making the city better and like, well, why can't we do this? Let's do this. Like just all about action. And then here I was just like a lawyer, like a corporate lawyer coming in and I can like sort of help out and I can form this LLC and, and, and help you out with this contract. But again, I was like, this is really cool. Like I like this energy and this is like more naturally what I'm drawn to. And so and, and in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm in a suit, but really I'm more like you than you realize whatever square yeah exactly right <laughs> and so at some point um so I was, so at some point i'm like i i want to i want to be a part of what this what is happening here so um i had traveled a lot over over the years uh love love different kinds of food love culture and i thought well i think that the city can support an ethiopian restaurant there are enough cool people who are open-minded they eat other kinds of foods and even though there isn't this type of restaurant in the city i think we um we can do it so and at the time i had some ethiopian friends who were also interested in um being a part of what we wanted to do but the and again the whole idea was never to just open a restaurant. It wasn't like I said, well, 
I'd love to open some kind of restaurant. What could it be? It was more like going back to the experience I had in Kenya and saying I wanted to touch on Africa. And obviously, even though Ethiopia is very different than a country like Kenya, the idea was I want to open a cultural venue that will have an impact on the city. That was the, that was the foundation. And, the, and that cultural venue is going to be this Ethiopian restaurant. And the objective of this restaurant is when you come in, you're, you're going to learn about this country. You're going to learn about the continent. You're going to hopefully get delicious food and good service, but it's more than, it's more than just a restaurant. That's how I always thought of it. And the reason I say that is because while I was doing up the, the restaurants called a buy, while I was doing a buy and then had a catering company that was diaspora catering and had, uh, eventually a pan Latin restaurant, Alma, if I would get interviewed, people would say, you know, what's it like being a restaurateur? And I was always like, I'm not really that. Like I'm a lawyer and I view myself more as an entrepreneur because yeah, they're restaurants, but that's not really what they are. Like it is that, but it isn't that. And, and, and to me that distinction mattered. Um, but so with, with a buy, it was, let me, let me break in real quick. Um, were you still practicing law at the time? So I jumped. And I don't so, want to sidetrack it. Yeah, but. no, no. So, yeah. So what I did was I literally, I like left Alcoa and I was all in. And what's great is, and I have my, I have a great wife because she was with me before we were married. I mean, she, we started dating. She started dating like a lawyer with a normal job and a 401k. And then very shortly I was like, hey, that I'm that thing that's stable, I'm done. And I'm going to, I'm going to open the city's first Ethiopian restaurant in a neighborhood that people were sort of scared to drive through at the time. And, and everyone I talked to was like, man, that's such a bad idea for so many reasons. You're insane. Yeah. I mean, for so many reasons. I mean, again, like, uh, you know, what's Ethiopian food? Aren't they starving? What are you going to serve? Like empty plates. Um, no one's going to come to that neighborhood. Okay. It was just on and on. And so, um, like they wanted you to go to a therapist probably yeah, yeah. and get an eval. So, so luckily though, and how I ended up in East Liberty though, so that the, the friend I was talking about whose name's Justin Strong and the venue was the Shadow Lounge, um, which you probably might want to reference in the show notes because the Shadow Lounge is, is, is ended up being a Pittsburgh institution. Right. And I will, I'll, I'll put that in the, yeah. on the blog and on the show notes. <laughs> so, um, so at some point, and this gets to your reference earlier of just like kind of like synergies and things lining up. So at some point, Justin Strong knew that I had this idea for this Ethiopian restaurant from, from the times I would talk to him and in his venue. And, one day he called and he was like, hey, I know you have this idea for a restaurant and a building just went up for sale a couple doors down from my building. Would you, you, you should check it out. So, so I, I think that day I like rolled through, looked at it and I was like, this is the spot. Like I'm going to buy this building a few doors down from your spot. We're, I'm going to put something in there. We're going to have synergy with everything you're doing and we're going to get this, th we're going to get this neighborhood going. It's going to be cool. That was that. And so now- that was more challenging than than obviously uh, it sounds right now because I had to number one I'm trying to get funding for starting a restaurant just in general banks don't like restaurants right I mean you you worked in a restaurant at some point you know you know the business 
Number two, it's the concept. It's a new concept. So it's to Pittsburgh, not a new concept to a lot of other cities, but to Pittsburgh it was. So it was, it wasn't just that I was opening a restaurant was the particular concept. Number three, then the question was, well, how much restaurant experience do you have? I mean, are you someone who's been in this industry for 20 years? Like what's your background in this? (laughs) No, no. And all it was, was like, I had, I could say that I had in between uh, college and law school, I'd worked at an Indian restaurant and I've, I've got my hands on everything I could read, but really I didn't, Uh, you know, I didn't have the experience that they were looking for. Just trust me, bank. I have a really good idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, so, so in, ter- and in terms of setbacks, I mean, as you can imagine, like the first bank wasn't like, yeah, sure, we'll jump on board with that. That sounds amazing. We, we, we'll get behind that. So fortunately, there was someone that I had uh, like played basketball against in like a young urban professional league, right? And I got to know this guy and he was a banker and he he was very familiar with the neighborhood. He also saw the 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 prospects of the neighborhood and thought that if he could get behind it, it would be something that would be beneficial. Um, I think, you know, mutually beneficial. So I linked up with him and we were able to get it, get it funded. And I mean, obviously I put the other day, someone asked me like, when you did that, like how much money did you put in? My answer was all of it. I put all my money in. Like I was all in, no plan B, this has to work. And so bought the building. Burn, uh, burn the boats, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bought the building, took a ridiculous amount of time to renovate, uh, you know, a crazy process. Cause it was literally, I was buying a location. We needed like new roof, new floors. We had the new plumbing, new wiring, new wall. I mean, it was, it was, it needed everything, right? T- total gut job. And in fact, when I, uh, when, after I closed on the building, I brought my parents to walk through. And this is before the renovations. And, uh, and so they walk through and they're looking around. It, what's crazy is it was a former fur store. So it was back in the day, it was a place that sold like fur coats. And it had like these uh, like climate controlled refrigerators. And there were still like random furs kind of left there and like when you're walk, walking through you're like is that a fur or a rat I'm not really sure what that is but anyway so uh so my parents walked through and I'm like yeah isn't this amazing like is this gonna be like I had this vision this is gonna be awesome and I could like they're quiet and I found out later like uh from from my dad like years later he said my mom like they left and my mom like sobbed the whole drive home because <laughs> they were like what did you do with your law degree and you had like a normal path and now look what you're doing it's just horrible but now but they never said any of that out loud in the no well was that no I mean and there's something to be said for that there is something and here's the thing too and at some point here's what they said I think in in their own, their conversation if anyone can do this thing then Jamie can do it go mom and so and 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 it gets to um, some of what you've touched on in other podcasts of having people around you that have confidence in you, right? That's so huge. And um, and I had I'm very fortunate to have had supportive parents. I'm very fortunate to have a supportive spouse. Um, and I think honestly, that kind of confidence it grows on itself. Uh, I, unlike you, like I know you you do like uh, Tony Robbins and you've done a lot of okay. So for me, as someone who Love sports, played sports my whole life. Not saying I'm a great athlete, but but I was a team sport guy. A lot of that motivational stuff, a lot of that teamwork stuff, I got from sports. Like I had halftime speeches that were like amazing speeches, right? They're like motivational speeches. And so 
the sports allowed me, I think, to to gain confidence and have teammates rely on me. And there were times where, like, because I had done something before, then I have teammates that are like, well, if you got this, like, we have faith in you that you're going to be able to do this. And I think then in turn, you end up having faith in yourself because your teammates are with you. I mean, whether it was, you know, uh, baseball and football, basketball, track, whatever. I mean, I, I remember like in track, I had, um, you know, I ran a relay, so 400 relay. And I was the last leg on a relay team. And so we we run a race and it's a close race. And like, as I'm coming down stretch, a, a guy's gain on me, but we end up winning. And, and at the end of the race, I'm talking to my teammates, and I was like, man, I, I thought, like, there was a chance that guy was going to catch me. And they were like, we didn't. You know? That's yeah. They are like, we didn't think he'd catch you. They were like, we knew that you wouldn't let that happen. And that's a beautiful thing because even if you didn't know it about yourself, that faith that they have in you, it builds on itself and you, it allows you to gain that confidence. It's why I'm – again, my wife isn't – she's not really a fan of, of – she didn't grow up playing sports. She's not like a, a team sport. I was, and I think – and I always think, man, I, there are a lot of lessons – in life that I got from um, those opportunities that I had. Yeah, so. the principles work uh, in a lot yeah. of different areas yeah. because she is. She is your teammate now. Yeah. She's the teammate that's standing behind you that has confidence that you're going to be able to hit the mark that you're trying to hit. And and I'm in a very similar position where I'm, I'm diving out into a world that for all intents and purposes is a bit unproven right now. And, and I left, this, you know, I left this, this job where I had this career that I'd spent my entire life getting and, you know, my mom's, I don't know if she cried in private, um, but, but publicly at first she was like, are you sure? Yeah. But then as soon as I was like, yeah, I'm sure. She's like, all right, let's do it. You know, yeah. like she helped, she stepped in and like helped me build the vision. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and my wife said the same thing. I mean, I, I know that she was concerned, uh, you know, that she, cause she married a lawyer as well. Sure. And, and I know that she was concerned but at the same time, not once did she say you shouldn't do this. Not once did she try to make me feel bad. She was supportive, and she said, "I know you can do it." Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you you need those people in your life, whether it's family, friends. You need it, and I think um, for folks that man, for folks that don't have it, it's tough. Yeah, you know, it's tough. And they and my only advice would be to try seek that out as much as possible, which is why you talk about mentors and right. other things. Find mentors and yeah. and start living the kind of life that's going to attract those kinds of people. Right. Because it's, you know, I'm not telling you that you need to leave your spouse and find a new spouse. Uh, maybe you can work through these issues together. Yeah. But if you uh, if you don't have a spouse, be very mindful yeah. of that person that you seek out to take this journey in life with. Yeah. Because if they're not, because these moments happen to a lot of us. Yeah. You know, we change and grow every day. And we need someone who's willing to take that journey and change and grow with us and not go, what? No, yeah. you're not doing that. Yeah. And, and it ends up that, like, my mom ended up working at a buy, uh, and she was obviously she was awesome. Crying, she was and then she started yeah, working for you. And she's, like, awesome because she's she's my mom, and then she's a hard worker anyway. And then my dad was really supportive, and even though he's not the type of person that would – typically go to all kinds of funky restaurants he's like well it's yours sure he's more of a meat and potatoes kind of guy but he's like yeah i'll try these crazy spices and these delicious dishes and he, now he's like a huge fan of ethiopia food and will seek it out in other cities um but he goes which is really funny um before we move on from from this topic i want to take a second and drill down a little bit into your thought process while you're doing this while you are you're a lawyer. You you know you see this coffee shop, spoken word place, and it's starting to resonate with you. You're starting to feel like you're in your place. What is is there an internal struggle? 
at that point before you tell anyone that this is what you want to do? Is there any type of internal struggle of this is crazy? I can't do this. What am I doing? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Definitely. However, I think that I was to the point where I said, I want to make a decision and go in a direction where it's impactful for others and it feels right to me. And just being a lawyer, I think is great, but it wasn't as fulfilling as, as this path that I want to be on. And so it, I don't know that it was as much of a struggle as more of, for me, like, I know this is going to be hard. And so now my job is working on whatever business plan and getting up to speed as much as possible so that I can make sure that I, that I can follow a path that will make this happen and, and go more from a dream to the reality. Because again, as much as I love talking to all those different folks that I mentioned in this, in the shadow lounge, a lot of people were really dreamers and they'd have like 10 good ideas in an hour, but then were they going to be able to make it happen? Like I wanted to be able to apply the skill set I had to actually bring it to fruition. And so, um, but no, it wasn't much of a it wasn't much of an internal struggle. But it was hard. I mean, like to to take the steps and make it all happen, challenging and a number of setbacks along the way. And I asked that question because I know uh, I, I've gotten to a point finally with the podcast where I get a lot of feedback from my listeners now, uh, and they message me and they say, "Man, you know, this last guest you had, like you talked about this thing, and it really made an impact on me." And a number of my listeners are some of them are lawyers that reach out to me, and, and they're like, "Man." you are living my dream. And I'm like, look, it's not all dreams. It's like, you know, it's, it, it's a grind out here as well. It's really scary. Right. But at the same time, it, it, I have to do it. It's right. not, a, it's not a choice. I know I wouldn't be happy without it, but they say, how do you do it? And so I like to drill down into that story because so many people are living a life. They're getting up and going to a job. They hate things like that. And, and they want out, but they don't see a path out. So I like to draw out the stories of people who did. Right. They said, life is long. And I want to live it on my terms because if I don't, I'm going to turn around one day and be like, I cannot believe I sold 50 years of my life. Right. Like, yeah, I I agree. I think, again, it's what do you want? Like, I don't begrudge someone who says, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm safe here doing my legal job and I'm... Uh, it's structured. I know what my paycheck's going to be. I know a paycheck's going to come, right? I, I, I get it. Um, but if if you don't want that, then it shouldn't be much of a struggle to do something else. Like, if that's not what you want, if you're willing to take a risk and pursue what you want, don't don't sit there and deliberate over this and go back and forth. Do it. Were there any lifestyle compromises you had to make? Yes. Yeah. I think, well, and I asked that because that's an important part of it too, is people are working at banks, they're working at law firms and they have, they have a house payment and they have a car payment. And, and I think that a lot of them feel trapped. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, well, first of all, then it gets to what, what is your lifestyle? Like, I, I don't think I was raised pretty modestly. So even when I started making whatever legal money, I wasn't like, oh, let me go spend this on whatever. I mean, I, I, that's, I've always been that way. So fairly frugal. Um, my wife would probably call it cheap, but I think it's like wise. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't like in so deep over my head where like I couldn't get out of it anyway. So I think that is an important component, right? Um, but yeah, in general, I mean, to to get something started, and put it this way, when when you're doing a restaurant, a lot of people, you can look at all sorts of models and you're supposed to have 
X amount of dollars and X percent of this. The bottom line is when we opened the doors, we were undercapitalized without a doubt. And in everything you read, it's like, oh, well, I know your problem. You should have had more money. Well, there wasn't more money to have. This is what I had, and it had to work, right? And so even we would have a, a busy lunch, and I would go from the, the take some of what we, we made at lunch and buy additional things that we needed that day and put it right back in the business. And, and, I, and I did that like on day one because really when we opened, we didn't have everything we needed yeah, probably like right then. Selling lunch to pay for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Right. That's not how you want to do it. Right. Right. I mean, you, you should never be in that situation. And, and more than likely, if you're in that situation, you're going to fail. Uh, we didn't, I think, because we had a good concept. It was in a great location, and we had phenomenal support from the community. I remember on the day we opened, like walking to the door to turn the lock to let folks in, and like looking out, and there's like a line out the door. And I remember walking back to the kitchen, and I was like, "Are you guys ready for this? Like, let's go! Like, it's just, it's just crazy. It's got to be a great feeling. It was an amazing feeling. And again, and the other thing on a regular basis too is like you can't. Again, you know, you, you, you've been in the environment, like when everything is going right in a restaurant and people are happy, if the staff's happy, the guests are happy, there's an energy that's just a beautiful thing. And also for me, since, since so much of what I was trying to do was like have people leave having like more of a knowledge base than they came in with, I felt like there was an educational component and an exposure of a cultural component that we were getting that I thought was just something that was really rewarding to me. And so... It was great. I mean, I don't know that there there aren't a lot of other things I've done that have given me the kind of feeling that the restaurants have given me. Having said that, though, and you know, I knew I wasn't going to do it forever, right? And um, and even though it was great, we had a, a kind of a timeline. And from you know, I did it for about ten years. Again, I bought the building in two thousand three and wrapped stuff up in twenty thirteen. I want to say. And it was um, it was an intense it was an intense ten years, right? I mean, of of just uh, long hours and fast pace, and uh, me just doing every single job in all of the restaurants, right? Was it a ten year plan, or did we get to a point where we said it's run its course? Yeah, I th- it was the, more the latter. Like so. I can't say in 2003 that, I, that I, at the time I was like, okay, let's 10 years. I knew, though, that it wouldn't be forever, right? Um, I think, like, it's it, probably the one of the pivotal moments was my wife helping out uh, at a pie. And then just she's like, so how much longer are you going to do this? Like, how much longer do you want to do this, right. really? And it, was, and it was a good start to the conversation because it's like, what's your exit strategy, really? And that's when we started talking. It's like, all right, what's the exit strategy? And then what do you want to do next? What's the next thing? And was like, well, we had talked about doing some sort of family sabbatical. Like, can we, would this be the time? Like, what if we, what if we sold and then did this family sabbatical? Oh, that sounds amazing. Like, can, is that, can we do that? Like, is there, like, can we really do that? And that, that got it started. And then it's like, all right, let's approach it the same way. Let's be really pragmatic and deliberate about what we want to do, just like opening the restaurants. And let's really think through this and just not fly by the seat of our pants. And let's start with, is this doable? And then if so, how? And then let's let's have a list of countries and let's talk about the criteria we want. And and fortunately, we're we don't we don't agree on everything in life, but we agreed on what we wanted out of this, and it was pretty easy. Um, and so we we arrived at Costa Rica not because it was we had heard it was some beautiful 
country where you could do a lot of act- outdoor activities, it was more like deliberate. I mean, that was a component of it, but it was more deliberate of of the we wanted a place uh, and we had to, at the time our son Atticus was three and Maddie's thirteen, so we wanted a place where there there we could send the kids to school and there was good health care and uh, would a plus if we could drink the water without drinking bottled water, little things like that. And and we wanted to be forced to learn a language and wanted to be somewhere where we could be on a beach, but also get to mountains. And so Costa Rica had everything we wanted and that's how we ended up selecting there. And, you know, and it was just proved to be really the most phenomenal experience of all of our lives, I would say. Yeah. When, when, when I, when I met you and you said that you had just gotten back from Costa Rica and you were telling me, because I told you, I was like, we're looking at that. And he was like, you should go. Yeah. <laughs> you should Yeah, I was like, don't hesitate. Yeah. Well, but that's what sealed the deal for me. Yeah. You know, I didn't tell my wife, oh, we're absolutely going. Yeah. But I started talking about it a lot more. And I, yeah. But that's happened so many times. I've met so many people that have went there and spent time. And every single person I met said yes. Yeah. A million percent yes. No one has said anything yeah. negative. And again, and I say like, so, so what I did before we went was I, uh, start a website, findyourcostarica.com. And then I wrote the whole time we were there. But the reason I named it findyourcostarica.com is because for us, that was the place. It doesn't have to be for you. It could be somewhere else, but I'm saying find that place that is perfect for you to really do whatever your goals are, whatever goals you want to achieve, do it. And and so I'm not, it's not that I'm even selling like that particular country, but for us, it was that place. Right. And I'll link that on the blog in the show notes to go read that blog. It is compelling stuff. I really enjoyed it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And again, I approached it like I took it like a job. Like I was like, I tried to, um, you know, I wanted it to be good and I wanted it to be helpful. And I wanted to think like, what, what would I want to know if I were interested in doing this? I mean, that was the, that was the, and that's what's great about it is it's part how to guide for Costa Rica, Mm -hmm. because there's some things in there that you write about, like, as far as like dealing with, uh, roadblocks, Mm -hmm. uh, as far as like the price of a car, little Mm -hmm. things that you might not necessarily think about. And, but then it's also a little bit more high level, right? Uh, you know, a little philosophical, right. a little philosophical. Yeah, philosophical. yeah, I got you. Uh, you know, there's some philosophy to it as far as, you know, the whole find your Costa Rica thing. Right. So uh, yeah, uh, really good writing. I mean, you're a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I wrote about, um, you know, wrote about a number of things. You're exactly right. Like try to have practical, uh, elements of it, but then also talking about happiness. Cause again, it is a place where at least where we were. So Costa Rica, just like everywhere, it's diverse and, San Jose is different than, say, the Pacific Coast. San Jose is a, a, a city. It feels very urban. The Pacific Coast, It's we were at a, a beach town. It felt very much like a beach town, right? It was a surfer community. Um, but for us, w- what we got from it was we were in a place where people thought a lot about health and happiness. They made a point to look at sunsets every day. Like you would stop, people would stop and they look at the sunset. They thought about just, you know, the phrase Pura Vida, like pure life. I mean, it's, it's so ingrained. And what it did was constantly cause us to just be in the moment. And it's, and it's weird because I think back to Kenya, I have very vivid memories of Kenya and I have vivid memories of Costa Rica. And those two episodes in my life are very far apart in years, but I think both of them resonate because I was so paying attention to what was going on intentionally, like being in the moment in, in both of those, um, experiences. And I think that's a lot what we did, like just absorb, like look around how beautiful this, this is. And, and let's, 
appreciate the time that we're getting to spend together as a family. And let's, let's remember this when we go back, because again, all along, we weren't like, Oh, we're just going to become beach bums and you know, whatever. Maybe someday when we retire, like I say, my wife will do yoga on the beach and I'll do like weird kind of calisthenics or whatever I'll be doing. But, but so we always knew we were going to come back, but we're like, once we go back into the, the rat race, so to speak, let's at least draw on this at this time we had. And I think it's caused me to really maintain a different perspective and, and maybe a, a, you know, a level head and not get as stressed out as I could in the environment you know, I'm in now. So it's been it's wonderful. I, can, yeah. I really, I encourage, I wish that everyone could do this. And I think a lot of people can and they don't realize they can because you, it doesn't have to be as expensive as you think. There are different ways to do it. We, we could have done it probably cheaper than we did. So there are people who can do it on a shoestring budget and it's all about the experience and what you want out of it. It doesn't have to be this. this you don't have to blow a million dollars in a year to do this. It, you can do it on a modest budget if it's done right. And if it's something that you want to do, man, powerful. I'm ready to go now. Yeah. Pack so your bags. When you left for Costa Rica, was there any thought or plan for what was next? No. I mean, that's a good question too. For So my wife, she was able to work. She's an environmental engineer. She was uh, with a consulting firm at the time. So the whole time we were in Costa Rica, she was employed still and she could work on a project by project basis uh, with her consulting firm. For me, like I was all in on the site and I was all focused on, um, you know, this thing that I'm in now. I didn't know necessarily what the next thing was going to be. The funny thing is once people knew I owned restaurants, like multiple people in Costa Rica were trying to sell me the restaurants. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm good. Like I did that for a while. I'm good. Like, like hey, you know, you could buy this. Well, you own a restaurant. You want to buy this one? So I knew it probably wasn't going to be that, but I really honestly wasn't sure. I was just ready for something different and I was ready for this experience and I wanted to put the same energy into my family and this experience that I had put into the businesses, quite honestly. And beyond that, I really wasn't sure. And so um, when I was there after however long, uh, I was able to connect with um, a friend of mine, good friend that I went to law school with and who had started this this jerk central business, right? And so uh, what it, it, he's... Um, He's Jamaican and he started a business selling authentic organic Caribbean spices. And so I, I linked up with him and, and started to, to work on that to help get that off the ground. But that wasn't the master plan. I mean, that wasn't like when I went there, I, was, I didn't say like, oh, next will be this entrepreneurial venture with someone that I know. I really wasn't sure. And I also knew that I, I was like, there's a chance that I would just, I knew I wouldn't go back to say a law firm, but I never, the whole time I owned businesses, I always maintained my law degree. Like I always kept my CLE credits. I always did stuff on the side. Like I always viewed myself as a lawyer. Like that never went away because I knew that at some point I'd probably get back into something where it would be the law. Cause I don't hate it. It's, it's challenging and it has its ups and downs, but I like, as I said at the outset, I like having that degree and I like the um, experiences. And honestly, working in the restaurants, it gave me a further appreciation of, you know, there, there are a lot of hard jobs and people work, 
people work long hours and put a lot of effort in and don't make a lot of money at what they're doing. And so uh, I, there are there are worse ways to make a buck than being a lawyer. I mean, honestly. So, oh, I mean, yeah. And don't <laughs> think that, that that I don't realize yeah. that some of the things I say probably sound uh, pretty shitty to, to some people who would who would you know really want to be in this position. But I also understand that they think that they want to be in this position, right? Because happiness is, it's not a money thing. No. You know, and the research backs it up. No. I think it's what around seventy thousand is is the moment that money stops affecting your happiness. Yeah. Because that's the moment that you don't want any you don't need is sure. the word. You that's the moment that you have enough money to sure. cover your actual basic needs and never yeah. want your power's not going off, you're not getting kicked out of your house, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Once you've got that money, now the rest of it is it, it, you know, it's not going to affect your actual happiness. Sure. And a very fundamental way to look at it too is every year they'll do uh, an annual survey of the happiest countries. If you look at the list of the happiest countries and you look at the list of the wealthiest countries, they're not the same. I mean, that in and of itself tells you that it's not all. I mean, if you, now it's one thing if you literally are starving, that's a different issue. But, right. but it, yeah, it doesn't always line up. So, um, but yeah, I didn't, to, to the upshot is I wasn't exactly sure when we went there on the front end what I was going to do on the back end. And fortunately, it just it just ended up working out. I mean, I got involved with again jerkcentral.com and then at some point um, got a call from someone I knew that uh, was being promoted to CEO of his company and reached out to see if I'd be interested in interviewing for the position he held before, which was vice president and general counsel. And um, and it, but the catch was that it was in Pittsburgh and. We had we had then moved to Charlotte. We moved to Charlotte for my wife's job. She's originally from Greenville, South Carolina. Wanted to be back closer to her family and um, wanted to be in a warmer climate, warmer yeah. and sunnier climate than Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. So, so someone I knew reached out and said, "Hey, would you be at least interested in interviewing?" And I was like, "Well, let me check with my wife." And I checked with her, and she said, uh, "Absolutely not." Like that was that. So that was the conversation. She's like, nope, nope, not moving there. You're not commuting. That's that. But then we talked about it more. And again, as someone, she, this is a renewable energy company. She's an environmental engineer. She's been a champion of sustainability since before it was a trend. Uh, and so the more we talked about the opportunity, the more we talked about how it lined up with what I wanted, which I like an entrepreneurial feel, which it feels entrepreneurial, even though it's it's a company that's been around. I like the fact that it's the parent company is in South Africa. I like that African connection again. I like the fact that I would be a lawyer, but at the same time be in a position where I have to uh, think strategically and, and look at the business side of it. So if, if I could almost like design what I would say would be a perfect job for me, that would be it. And, then, and and she understood that. And so despite the fact that it's in a city that we weren't in, she was like, okay. And so, and so that would have been, you know, since May of 2016, I've been working there and I just, I go back and forth a lot. Like I fly a ton, you know, right. like I flew in last night, you know, and I'll fly out in a couple of days. So yeah, it was busy trying to nail you down for the, yeah. for the interview. <laughs> um, so I'm going to put you on the hot seat and you can answer if you want to, what's the next step? Is this it? Like, are we, uh, are yeah. we headed anywhere else from here? I don't, you know, I, I really love this opportunity. So I, I would stay as long as it makes, continues to make sense and, and it makes me happy and I feel like I'm contributing. 
um, I like, I can't imagine an environment where I can feel, uh, that I can contribute anymore. It's, it's dynamic, it's fast paced. We just, it's a bunch of people who the mentality is just a go mentality. Like it's like, we can get this done. And I love that. Um, I can't, you know, but I, I, it would be hard for me to think of a better environment. Um, having said that, I mean, you know, things, things, uh, with companies change and, and, um, if, if that environment ever changed and for, if for some reason I didn't feel the same way, then I would, I would do what I would always would do and look for what seemed to be a good fit. But for me, it's, it's a really great fit. Right on. Has there been any adjustment with, you know, you come back from Costa Rica where you're with your family, I assume pretty much all day, every uh, day. Yeah. And now you're life on the road a bit. Uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, life on the road a lot. Yeah. It's really challenging because I, again, our son now is seven. I went from being around everyone all the time to seeing them very frequently. We do FaceTime a lot. We talk as much as possible. That's very challenging. I mean, really it, it is. And, and, and I like, I like being a dad. I like being a husband. And yeah, so it's tough. It, it's tough. However, I'm, I mean, really, when I'm in Pittsburgh, I'm so focused on work and I'm just like sort of on the grind. And it's in some bizarre way, I'm not conflicted because I don't even have an opportunity to, say, miss a game or miss an event because I'm there. It's almost like if I were working th those kind of hours in Charlotte and I'd be like, oh, man, I have to be at the office. But there's this thing going on and maybe I could get away. I don't even have an option. Like I'm in Pittsburgh, they're in Charlotte. So I just, um, you know, I just stay focused and, and try and work as hard as I can and, and get it done. But you know, it's tough. It's a challenge. Yeah. I imagine it is. You, uh, we were emailing trying to schedule this and you were telling me, um, that you'd had a, you know, a loss in the family and, you know, and, and obviously everyone has, has losses in the family. And I hear about it. My wife is an oncology nurse and I don't know how she does it, dear God, because that kind of stuff sticks with me. But that story stuck with me. You know, it, it just, it, you, you had just gone through this loss and, and, and you wanted to, you know, one of the things you wrote in the email was I really want to make an impression on your podcast, on your listeners that, you know, tomorrow's not here. Tomorrow is not promised to you. And if you are, going to do the thing you need to do it now was essentially the takeaway there. And that has been playing over and over in my head, you know, since two or three weeks ago when you sent it to me. Yeah. You're, I'm, I'm actually glad you reminded me of that too, in terms of just conceptually, because I intellectually there's stuff that we know. And then even myself, like I'll forget it. Right. And I'll have to remind myself, um, I'll have to remind myself how fortunate I am just to be sitting here with you. I'm very fortunate to to have the position I do with my company, quite honestly. Like there are days where I'm frustrated or down or overwhelmed, but I have to say, like, I'm really lucky. There are probably a billion people that would trade places with me if they could. And so I, I, I you have to do that to your point. Like even I know that tomorrow's not promised. I know that like you have to go after it, but then there are some days where I can even kind of forget that own message and be like, yeah, like, what am I doing? Like, of course. And you're absolutely, that's absolutely true. I want people who are maybe on the fence, they're listening and they're on the fence and like, I don't know. You go after it, have a plan, right? I mean, don't just go have a plan, but go after it. Like there's, what are you waiting for? 
Like, don't, what are you doing? Like, if you don't be miserable, don't, don't like try and justify where you're at. If you want to be somewhere else, like you go after it, make sure you do what you need to do to be successful, but have the confidence that you can do it and, and get at it. Man, I really appreciate you taking the time out to be here. This is an interview that is a long time coming because like I said in the beginning, you know, I, uh, I think it was going to be six or probably eight, probably eight months after I met you before I even started this podcast. I was still very much in the, what the hell am I doing? I need to do something phase. Before I let you go, I was thinking I'd love to reverse engineer life and, and, and how things, I do it with my wife all the time. I, mm-hmm. we, we talk about the things that had to go right, the things that had to happen, the little weird things that had to happen to, to make us in that same bar on that same night. And, and, you know, so my question is what led you to, to that group that day? I think, yeah, I think that for me, it, it goes back to, it would go back to this true desire to be an entrepreneur because it was an entrepreneurial group, Mm -hmm. right? And it was a Packard place. Yeah, it was a Packard place, which is all entrepreneur stuff. It goes back to true desire to be an entrepreneur and regularly seeking that out on an ongoing basis, even when, even way back when, when I was like still sort of in this conformist mold. But I think like that desire and that day in particular, it was like, hey, I'm in a new city and I don't really know a lot of people, but I know that the kind of people I like are the kind of people who have ideas and energy and they want to do really cool things that are interesting. And I want to be a part of that. And then, and I'm sure like that's what led me to some of these events. Like I would go and I would get inspired to pitch breakfast. It could be about something that I have no idea about, never thought of, wouldn't have the ability, but I would be like, I like this idea. I love that energy. And, um, and that's how I ended up and I, it's how I ended up there, you know? Yeah. And it's why, and I'm, and I'm again, like, it's why I, co- I constantly say, like, it's, it's this weird dichotomy because in some ways I have this very structured understanding of there's the, you, there's to be successful. You have to like put in the effort and do this and, and again, be on time. And we were, like, I'm, I'm di- again, I'm different. Like, listen to your podcast. Like there was someone, there was someone on here that was like, uh, they were supposed to go when they were a teenager, they were supposed to go to a job that day, but maybe instead they did whatever thing, like maybe tubing on a river or something. I don't know. Maybe it was you. I don't even know. But like, I was like, man, I never would have done that. Like, I'm like, I was like so irresponsible. Right. Like, like I never would have done that. Cause like in my mind, I would have let like my coworkers down and like my parents, and, but that's entrepreneurial minding because the guy's like, I'm, this is of the two choices. Like, this is a way better thing to do. Like, why would I go to work? Right. Um, so, so there's always been this sort of conflict, but I could say like, again, though, even as a kid, I was talking to my mom about this when I was, when I was four years old and we lived in Fort Knox, Kentucky at the time, she said, I was like, I was drawing something, like with my crayon, I was drawing something. And she's like, Jamie, what are you drawing? You know? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she's like, how are you drawing a picture of God? Like, no one knows what God looks like. And I was like, oh, well, as soon as I'm finished, they will. <laughs> and so, to me, that's like, I'm like, yeah, that's an entrepreneurial it mind. It is. That's I like, will create it. Yeah. I'll, this, and then, yeah, and then you guys will get up on, like, what I'm thinking, you know? Um, but anyway, so... Yeah, no, very cool, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think, I feel like uh, one, because I was going to pitch breakfast around that time as well. 
Did you go to that pitch breakfast where two you laundry presented the guys who were yes. doing the laundry delivery yes. service? Have you been keeping up with them? No, I haven't seen what they're up so to. So they lately. launched that month in, yeah. in November of fifteen. Yeah. They're crushing it. That's great. They're man. crushing it. They've secured uh, three million in funding. They are now in Atlanta as well. Oh, good for them. And I'll put a little plug in for our startup grind event. I don't. It's going to be a couple weeks before this comes out, so it's probably going to be releasing like maybe even after yeah. the uh, the event takes place. Yeah. But uh, I am uh, the director of Startup Grind now. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, congratulations, by the thank way. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. And I am interviewing them at Avid Exchange's new uh, new digs at the Music Factory. I'm interviewing mm-hmm. Dan and Alex on February 7th. Okay. So I know you're probably not in town because you're never in town. Yeah, I'm probably but not. But if you are, yeah. come on out. Yeah, those are, they're good guys. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to see the success of these folks because I, I really appreciate how hard it is to make it happen. But it's doable, right? So I understand, like, and when I say hard, I mean just to take the leap, to put the um, pieces together to make it work, to get connected to the right people. It takes effort. So it's not easy. It isn't, but it's doable. Well, and do you know who Jason Nazar is? He started a company told, called DocStock years ago, and he, uh, while he was in law school, I think he dropped out of law school to keep the company, you know, to really go yeah. with the company. He ended up selling it for $300 million, yeah. and really, really awesome guy. He, he, he does a lot of speaking now, but he said something that really resonated with me. He said, all effort is equal. He's like, if you're going to get up and go to your job at a restaurant, you got to work. You got to work hard. Right. Like you got to you know break your back if you're right. going to get up and go do a construction job. Right. Everything that you're doing is right. effort. Right. It is just the long-term vision yes. that is the only thing that changes. You can yeah. either get up and break your back at construction, or, right. and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those jobs, sure. but if it's not what you want. Sure. So you're putting in effort to keep the, the yeah. boat afloat anyway. Yeah. Figure out how to put that effort into something that is going to get you where you want to go. Right. That stuck with me. Yeah. You're going to work anyway. Yeah. Work towards the goal. Yeah, that's a good quote and a, and a good thought. Um I think, you know, I, you talked before about different quotes, or I don't know, like, but something my dad would always say, too, is, you, you know, your problem's not your problem, your reaction to it is your problem, right? right? Like, how you react. And I think that's, it's very basic, but very good. And especially for me, like, you you touched on that, you sound like maybe as as a younger person, you're more emotional, like, like you know, a little bit, right? So, <laughs> and, I, and I actually was, too. And I think my dad was, he was always like, look, you can't, the, you need to, like, control that and react properly to the situation and 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 manage it and i think that's a that's a good advice that has stuck with me sort of throughout like what are you gonna do so here's the situation now let's 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 come up with a plan and have some some action i spent a lot of time worrying about the way others treated me Mm -hmm. instead of worrying about my reaction to the way they treated me you know I, i try to externalize a lot of my problems and 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 i can't believe they did this and they did this and and then you realize that you have no control over anything in your life except the way that you choose to react. And, and that was one of the most empowering things that I ever finally internalized. And, and it really changed the way that I interact with everyone in my life. Right. I mean, that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Absolutely. That's, that's the, you let yeah. them in. Right. That's the quote, right? I think it's Eleanor Roosevelt or something, but, um. that's great. <laughs> and I, dude, I would keep you here all day. Yeah, if you yeah, let me, sure. um, I, I don't want to do that. I know yeah. you're busy. I know you got to get on the road yeah. here shortly, but uh, again, thanks so much for taking the time out. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Love sitting down with you. And again, I'm really happy to see your success. Right on. So we can find, uh, obviously your blog is at find your Costa Rica. Yeah. So find your Costa Rica.com. Um, you can find me at, uh, 
MontauKEnergy.com as well. And then on LinkedIn, it's uh, Jamie Wallace ESQ. Yeah, and I will link all those for you as well. Yeah. All right, right. well, thank you, sir. Take care. All right, take care. All right. All right, all right, all right. I had high expectations coming into this episode, and it did not disappoint. Jamie is a guy who is not afraid to take the path less traveled, and it has paid off with one hell of a story. The way he walked away from a, quote, successful job to open not just a restaurant, but a cultural venue that would have an impact on the city, it gives me chills just thinking about it. So if you're on the fence right now, if you're thinking, I can't afford to leave my job, you have to ask yourself what is really important. Is the big house that you can barely afford important? Is the Beamer or the Benz to impress your friends really important? Is any of that shit going to matter when you are looking back from your deathbed? Are you really going to wish that you'd spent more time doing shit that you hate to buy things that will never bring you true joy just to keep up with people in your social circle. Listen, no matter how much money you make, it will never be enough to keep up in that game. Make a decision now, today, to start doing something that matters to you. Now, if you enjoyed that episode with Jamie as much as I did, you will have my undying gratitude and appreciation if you take a quick moment right now to hit that subscribe button on this show. Not only are you going to bring joy to my heart, you're going to get notified when sweet new episodes of the Future Self Podcast roll out. And do we ever have some sweet ones in store for you? Over the next few weeks, we'll be sitting down with District 37's own Senator Jeff Jackson and the coaches coach Mr. Mark Mawinney of Natural Born Coaches. All right, before I let you go, one quick reminder about the comprehensive podcasting course at Advent Coworking from idea to iTunes, and you're going to get all that delicious podcasting goodness served up in person by yours truly. Whether you already have an idea or you need some help nailing one down, in just four short weeks, I'm going to help you take that idea and launch it on iTunes. So if you're ready to press play on your own podcast, head on over to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. That's yourpod.pro. All right, listeners, I know that your time is your most valuable asset. So I thank you once again for spending just a little bit of that time with me today. Now, until next week, get out there and get after it.